Hello everyone, uh, welcome to the Layman's Channel and another Bible study into the book of Philippians chapter 3. Um, if it's your first time with us then um, if you look on the playlist we've got several playlists um, of different Bible studies that um, we've done throughout this year. Uh, this one is the keys to standing firm and um, I hope those of you that have been uh, on the journey with us over this last year have uh, continued to be blessed um, by the studies that we do and it would be great if you would uh, like these videos and subscribe to the channel if you don't subscribe um, so that you get uh, notifications of when these Bible studies do go live and um, they do go live on a Saturday um, at uh, midday UK time uh, which for those of you in the Philippines I think is about 8 p.m. during the winter and 7 p.m. Uh, during summertime UK time so um, before we get into the study, uh, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for once again giving us the opportunity of gathering together around your word. Even Lord God, if this is on video, Lord, we still want to thank you, Lord God, that Lord, your word is powerful. And Lord, it never returns to you void without you doing something in our hearts and our lives. So Lord, I pray um, as we look at your word today, that your word would become a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That Lord, that we could, we would um, enter into that time, Lord God, and, and that place where we gain understanding, Lord, for the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding. So Lord, I pray for everybody who is watching and listening to this right now and ask, Lord God, that you would touch their hearts and lives, that you would open up, Lord God, to them the scriptures. That Lord, that they may be changed that lord that our lives all of our lives lord may be different but lord that we may be the difference lord god as well in the communities where we live lord i pray once again for you to touch my lips and anoint my lips to enhance the kingdom of god as you promised to do and that lord that you would continue to flow through me as a conduit not for my glory but for your glory and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, in our last study, we looked at verse 12 of Philippians 3 uh, and the need for all of us have to desire, grasp and take hold of the goal for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. We saw that the ultimate goal for each one of us is to be with Christ Jesus forever. I am reminded of what Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 1-3, when he said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. That's the goal for each of us who believe in Christ Jesus, to be where he is. For the next two studies, I'll be concentrating on something of great importance. It affects our ability to take hold of the goal we talked about last time. If we get this right, it will put our lives into perspective and make us shining examples to the world of lives that have been made right with God and will testify to the greatness of all Jesus accomplished on our behalf when he was crucified 
on that old rugged cross. I'm going to concentrate on four little words found in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Those words are forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. So let's get the context of those four words as we read the scriptures together. Philippians chapter 3 and I'll be reading from verses 7 to verse 14. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his powerful and wonderful word. As human beings, we all have a tendency to be unbalanced and biased in our attitudes, thoughts and feelings. All of us have been conditioned and nurtured by our environments to think, act and say certain things. As a result of this conditioning, when we become Christians and surrender our lives to God, we all have to face up to the challenge of dealing with the issues of life in a new way. Rather than invoking the coping methods we have used since we were children, instead we have to get a biblical perspective on the things that have happened to us, are happening to us and will happen to us in the future in order to restore some measure of balance to our lives. Coming to Christ is a correction not just of, the, of, of, of our sin, but also our attitudes and the way that we have lived our lives. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because of this, we need a new state of mind and a new perspective so that, what, so that we are able to live with the new purpose that tallies up with our being new creations in Christ Jesus. And that's not easy. Let's face it. After conversion, we can still end up being just as unbalanced and biased and in a total mess 
just like we were before we came to Christ. And that means our lives post-conversion can be just as unproductive and messy as they were before. But the good news is that the Lord has put into place the things that can not just patch us up, but to completely set us free from the ties that bind us. That's why these four little words from Philippians 3.13 are so important. Forgetting what is behind. In the first of our studies into these four words, I'll be looking at the relationships that we've all had with the bad things that have happened to us in the past and how they continue to have power over us as we struggle to live up to being Christians in a world that frankly refuses to let go, refuses to forget and refuses to forgive those it perceives have transgressed. This week I'm going to be talking about dealing with the bad things that have happened to us either as a result of our own stupidity and sinfulness or the stupidity and sinfulness of others who have foisted their own sin upon us. Next week, I'll be talking about some of the good things that have happened to us and that we are called to move on from those things as well. Life is tough. I don't need to repeat that but I'm going to do it anyway. Life is tough. There is no getting away from the fact that life is tough. But life is also good. It's living it that doesn't come easy. <laughs> I coined a phrase from that idea which says, life is good but living ain't easy. And I'd like to one day incorporate that into a song because I think it flows off the tongue like a good lyric should do. Life is good, but living ain't easy. All of us know the truth that life is tough. All of us have been through certain things in our pasts that affect us in the present and affect our futures. Each one of us has scars that show that we've been what we've been through emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and even physically. What we all find difficult is moving on from those events that wounded us. We all live with a measure of post-traumatic stress dis uh, disorder that inhibit inhibits our progress. But move on, we must. If there is anything that will cause us to become powerless, ineffective, full of fear, despair and bitterness. It's living in the bad things of the past and not letting them go. So many of us fall short of fulfilling our potential because we cannot let go of the things that have gone before. Because of those things, we wallow in self-pity we become lifeless, listless. Christians who constantly remind themselves of that long gone, unforgivable sin. The door to the closet with those skeletons in is constantly open 
and they are constantly parading themselves before us. Our moral failures are paraded in front of us and we come to a point where we believe that we are useless. If that's you that I'm describing, then I have something to say to you. You are a child of the living God. You have been forgiven and have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. All your sin and shame was placed upon Jesus at the cross and has been washed away by his blood. Why can't you believe that? What's so special about your sin that God can't forgive? What's so special about your pain that you refuse to give it up? Jesus has set you free. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. It's time for you to appropriate that fact and make it a reality in your life. Forgive yourself, forgive others, forget the past and move on. How can you be an effective witness of God's grace and mercy if you haven't truly received it for yourself? Stop wallowing in the sins and offences of the past and move on to embrace the goal that Christ Jesus took hold of you for. It's how you deal with what's gone on before that determines how you move ahead into all that God has for you. There are two men that God used mightily to touch the lives of millions who, if they had allowed their past to interfere with their ministries, would never have had the chance for God to use them to touch so many people. In Acts 22 and verses 1 to 16, Paul describes how he was instrumental in the persecution of the early church. In verses 4 and 5 he writes, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And the high priest and all the council as the, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. In Acts 8 and verses 1 to 3, after Stephen was martyred, we read, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul was not a nice man. His past was full of darkness and hate, even though he himself thought he was righteous and faultless, as he described so eloquently in the earlier verses we've studied in Philippians chapter 3. Then Jesus came 
and set him completely free. And Paul literally fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 9 and verse 2, which says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that light was so bright upon Saul that he was made blind by it. Paul understood what Jesus had done for him, that he'd become a new creation in Christ Jesus, that the old Saul had gone and been replaced by the new Paul. No wonder he could write to the Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And to the Philippians, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul held his past in the right perspective. He was a man who lived for today with the hope for tomorrow firmly embedded in his heart. His relationship to his past and the bad things he did was firmly in place. As far as he was concerned, it was forgotten. Then there's Peter. The man who witnessed firsthand the extraordinary events of Jesus' ministry in Judea. He saw many miracles firsthand. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was revealed in all his glory. He was the first to understand just who this Jesus was. When he answered the question of Jesus in Matthew 15, Who do you say that I am? When he said in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are our, our Messiah. You are the one, the beautiful one who is expected to deliver Israel. You are the Christ. He was always the mouthy one, our Pete. One day at the Last Supper, he made a promise that he just couldn't keep. His big mouth got him into big trouble. He said to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for your sake. Jesus knew that it was a promise that he couldn't keep at that time and told him, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. You know, Peter nearly kept that promise. He followed Jesus right into the court. All the other disciples had fled, but Peter was there. And it took the challenge of a servant girl for him to fulfill the words of Jesus and to break his promise. He denied him three times. And then the cock crowed. In Luke chapter 22 and verses 61, and 62, we read some of the most emotion-laden verses in the New Testament. They say the rooster crowed and Jesus turned and looked 
at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Poor Peter. Can you imagine the struggle he had to endure? Knowing that he denied his saviour, denied the one who he proclaimed was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, it must have been hard for Peter to look Jesus in the eye. If it were me, I know that I'd have the events of that night constantly churning around in my brain and in my heart. I wonder how many times he said to himself, if only. Or, I've really gone and blown it this time. How many times have we said that to ourselves? If only I hadn't done that, Lord. If only I hadn't said that. I really do think that I've blown it. That's why it's important to say with Paul, forgetting what is behind. But Peter experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus in his life. So much so that he moved on to become someone who God used mightily to transform lives. <laughs> Peter went on to write, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade or fade. He took hold of that for which Jesus took hold of him. He went on to write, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You can read that in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5. What failures, sin, shame and guilt do you carry with you? Don't you think it's time to let them go? It's time to stop living in the past. It's time to stop allowing the past to affect the way that you live your life now and how you live your life in the future. When you do, you'll truly know the power of those words, forgetting what is behind. Therefore, my brothers 
ancestors, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Forget your pasts and the bad things that have happened. For in doing so, it will enable you to stand firm in the Lord. My dear friends, may God bless you. May God keep you safe until next time. May you know the power of what it's like to forget the past. I'll see you next time. Amen.